a special offer for today. I'll tell you what I'll do. Those who podcast without delay will get a free tattoo. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, that's a good one. That's a good offer. That's yeah. what that is. I also thought about doing an earlier part of the same song. Um, so try the life of a thief. Just sample the life of a crook. There isn't a boy who won't enjoy podcasting for Captain Hook. Just because <laughs> I wanted to say sample the life of a crook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. very funny phrasing to me. Just sample the life of a crook. Just take a little taste of it. Just a test. I'm imagining myself at the grocery store getting a little bit of pita bread, you know, and mm-hmm, the little plastic mm-hmm. dome thing, dipping it into the life of a crook, being like, never buying this. <laughs> that will not exist after COVID, right? That's gone forever. Probably. It might still be around with a person distributing, you see. Somebody with gloves on and a mask who is... Well, everybody's at the mask at the store now, so you can't have it now. I still think if it's somebody with gloves on is making individual, you know, tray, little little cups or toothpicks or whatever and handing them to you so you're not touching everything. I don't know. That's not the same. It's not the same experience. It's it's important that you see and acknowledge a little sign that says only take one deviled egg and you'd be like, I'm taking two. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you only want me to take half a cookie? I will take the whole cookie. (laughs) Right. They definitely have stopped doing the free cookies for children sort of thing. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah. Now we have to talk about this movie, I'm afraid. It's true. (laughs) I got distracted. everybody and welcome to me mom and the mouse a podcast about the joy of watching cartoons with your family we're watching every film in the disney animated canon and talking about how it was made what it means and why we love it or don't my name is isaac coleman and i'm joined as always by my mother rue coleman hello isaac is a very mother-centric movie it really is surprisingly the first one we've had with much mom going on. It's it's a, arguably a movie about motherhood, or at least a story about motherhood. This movie less so yeah. than some other versions. Yeah, it's true. Because this week on the program, we are of course talking about The Adventures of Captain Hook and Smee, a.k.a. <laughs> 1953's Peter Pan, directed by Clyde Geronimi, Wilfred Jackson, and Hamilton Luska. The boys. Yeah. The lads. And uh, let me ask you, Mom. What does this here movie mean to you? And more broadly, perhaps, what does the Peter Pan story with its many, many different versions mean to you? Well, for this movie in specific, the Disney movie, I actually had the storybook record of Peter Pan when I was growing up. That's the record with the pictures. It's like a big picture book with a record included. And, you know, they tell the story and do some of the songs and you turn the pages to look at the pictures of what's going on. They are never complete. So whenever I saw the movie for the first time, I would always be surprised because, you know, having listened to the record over and over and over, you get a picture in your head of what you think is going on. And then you watch it and it's like, oh, there's actually some different stuff going on as well. Did they have sample the life of a crook? I don't remember exactly. You didn't go in for that sample? I can't remember. Um, 
I was actually looking at looking online for pictures of the record, trying to remember specifically what it was like listening to it and what was included, because I was like, I don't remember some of these things being included. I don't remember the What Made the Red Man Red song being on my record, but every image I could find of a potentially the record it could have been shows it, and I didn't reach out to my mom or dad to have be like, hey, send me pictures of my record that I'm sure you still have, <laughs> but I don't remember. Anyway, I didn't listen to that one as much as maybe some others that we'll get to later, but this is the first movie we've watched where I actually had the record of it. I probably first saw the movie when it came out on VHS in 1990 or 1993, because I saw two different years for the first VHS release, and I'm not sure which is accurate, because I couldn't find any confirmation anywhere. I don't know what you found. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually didn't look too much into the home video release for this one. Yeah. I tend to look at it to try to remember when why might I have seen this movie. Right. I do have a story, though, from my mom about this movie. When she was young, she didn't actually get to watch it. Because her mom thought, my grandma, that the Peter Pan musical with Mary Martin was so much better... They just never watched the Disney version at all, which is kind of surprising to me because my grandma loved Disney everything. Isn't that funny? <laughs> I kind of respect that. I don't know. I've I've had stuff like that where it's like, no, I already have the perfect version of this thing. Right? Yeah, it's so funny. And I was like, maybe it's because the Mary Martin one, you know, was shown on television all the time, but you would have to actually go to a theater to watch this one. And they weren't big theater goers, at least by the time I was around, but I'm not really sure what it was like, you know, when my mom was a kid. So it's just funny. Just a funny little tidbit. I always enjoy hearing you and dad talk about those records, those records where you have the storybook with it, because it was clearly such a huge part of both of your childhoods to the point that dad, you know, can remember specific skips Uh in the record for certain pieces of dialogue. Yeah. And it's, it's just a thing that doesn't exist. No, it was a huge part of my young childhood entertainment. Right. Because we did not have a television until I was over five years old. But we had a record player and we had these records. And I learned how to put the records on myself after, you know, eventually. And I would just, we would put the records on and just sit and listen to them like we were watching something on TV or whatever. Um, So even though I was not part of the generation where listening to the radio was a we're going to sit down and basically stare at the radio because we're listening to it. Um, I had the records that I would listen to in that way sometimes. And then I guess the millennial version of that is like the me remembering all of the trailers, all the VHS trailers I'm always talking about. (laughs) And then the Gen Z version of that will be nothing, I guess, remembering the specific moments where the movie would always buffer for you on Disney+. (laughs) I don't know what it'll be, but maybe, maybe they'll have something like that. Yeah, so this movie, I've seen it a lot. I know we had this on VHS, but it was a later one that we got, I feel like. It wasn't one of the ones I remember us always having. I remember us specifically buying it a little later, Hmm. possibly the 98 release. It was definitely the 98 or 99 release. I have always felt more of a connection to Peter Pan as a story than this movie specifically. Yeah. I read the book. I saw other movie versions of it. Uh, My favorite was the 2003 Film version, which I remember seeing in theaters and which we then owned. That's the live action one, correct? 
Yes, yes, thank you. 2003 live action, not Disney, actually Universal film, mm-hmm. uh, which I just rewatched today before this podcast. And uh, in my opinion, it holds up. I really, really enjoyed rewatching that. Yeah, that's an excellent version. There are, I have seen so many versions of this. Right. And read the book. I've definitely seen the musical performed in several places. Yep. I have a distinct memory of us trying to watch the NBC Peter Pan live and Ooh, giving up. Yeah. Because it was unwatchable. Yeah, that was not good. Christopher Walken was trying. Yeah. And of course, the live action movie Hook. Yes. Which is a an excellent movie about if Peter Pan grew up. <laughs> I haven't seen that in a long time. A lot of that is generally not considered a good movie. I love that movie, though. It is so much fun. Dustin Hoffman and Robin Williams just having a good time. I'm just not offering an opinion because I truly don't feel like I've seen it recently enough to remember. And in addition to reading the actual book, there's like uh, uh, Peter and the Star Catchers, right? Oh, yeah. I forgot about that series. Yeah, that was a good one. It's a prequel series by Dave Barry, I think, and mm-hmm. somebody else. Mm-hmm. Does that sound right? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of Peter Pans. And like I say, I never particularly loved this version. It was always just kind of like, oh, yes, this is, of course, a movie that I have seen. This is a version of it. And I've been dreading this one a little bit. And I have <laughs> to say, rewatching it, I I kind of like it less even than I did uh, when I was younger. Yeah. And it's in large part because of a thing that I think we just got to talk about up front. Because on the Dumbo episode, right, we saved it until we got to the point in the synopsis where it became relevant. Mm -hmm. We kind of stuck to the structure of the show. I feel like it's a cloud hanging over the whole thing. Yeah. And it's in with this one especially. And it's best just to talk about this movie is fundamentally racist. It is. And watching it now, it is so much more obvious than I had ever noticed it before. And it's just so cringing. Right. When you watch the stuff with the Indians now. I remembered it just being like Dumbo, you know, the the most problematic element of Dumbo, the crows. It's just one scene. And I remember that being the case here where I was like, oh, yes, of course, the what makes a red man red song is horrible. But no, it it's kind of the whole movie. It's kind of mm. all over the movie. They really expand the role of the Native American characters from what it was in the book. Well, but even in the original play and book, they were stereotypes Correct. that would be considered racist even today. The prob- That's the problem when you're dealing with a property that's over 100 years old. You're absolutely correct. This movie is often credited with being more racist than the book, which, I mean, obviously isn't a thing you can quantify. Right. But adding in more stuff with them, adding in the caricatures, adding in... A lot more instances of slurs and some weird gender politics with the, you know, squaw, get some firewood. Yeah. I don't don't like quoting any of this dialogue. Yeah. But of course, yes, the, the original book, I have the section pulled up here. The Native Americans are referred to with the R slur, uh, the mm-hmm. former name of the Washington football team, which we're not going to say. And they belong to another word I don't want to say. I'll just say it once. The Piccaninny tribe. That Uh, being an offensive word for usually small black children. But, you know, they they didn't have discreet racism yet. (laughs) There was just white and not. 
Yeah. And in the book itself, you know, there's this section where Peter rescues Tiger Lily from the pirates, as he does in the movie. And yes. Just going to read a few lines here that will make us all feel pain. They called Peter the Great White Father, prostrating themselves before him, and he liked this tremendously, so that it was not really good for him. The Great White Father, he would say to them in a very lordly manner as they groveled at his feet, is glad to see the, P-word, warriors protecting his wigwam from the pirates. Me, Tiger Lily, that lovely creature would reply. Peter Pan saved me, his very nice friend. Oh. Me no let pirates hurt him. She was far too pretty to cringe in this way, but Peter thought it his due, and he would answer condescendingly, It is good Peter Pan has spoken. Yeah. And I think that's the only, or one of a very, very few lines spoken by Tiger Lily in the book. She's a nearly silent character, as she is in this. Yes. And yeah, that's horrible. All of that, mm -hmm. obviously, we're leaning into... Uh, J.M. Barry was a, a Scottish writer, and he lived in England, and of course that's that classic English colonialism, thanking the great white father. Yeah. Part of the problem is, I think, that they are, they are meant to be a child's idea of what Indians would have been like at that time. You know, the, the children who would play cowboys and Indians, whatever, right? Except they're playing Indians and pirates. That's absolutely correct. It's it's like, you know, obviously the pirates in this movie and story are nothing like real pirates. Correct. And it's the same way for the Native Americans. I totally understand why they're in the book, you know, what their mm -hmm. place in it is, because it is based on child's games and i mean yeah my brother and i even played these same games we definitely played cowboys and indians and stuff but of course the difference is that you know we didn't perpetuate a genocide against pirates yeah and we did and arguably still are against native americans yep. so it's much more harmful and this story oh, sure. is you know going to be a lot of children's first exposure or stories like this tend mm -hmm. to be a lot of children's first exposure to native american peoples which means they internalize bad ideas and yeah. obviously you know when you were a kid watching this you didn't think about it when i was a kid watching this i didn't think about it when my younger brother was a kid watching this it's not something any of us thought about because we never had to mm -hmm. and here's the other thing i know there's gonna be some people who don't like us talk about this or don't like how much we talk about this. And broadly, you know, I don't care about your opinion. But <laughs> I do want to say, like, we're not just talking about this for some agenda or because of the harm that it causes, although we do think that's important. But, like, ultimately what this podcast is about is our experiences watching the movie. And the racism of this movie was an important part of our experience watching this. I felt physically sick to my stomach in the red man red scene like just disgusted and upset by it like that is even independent of the you know broader maybe philosophical aims of talking about stuff like this and the importance of talking about stuff like this like i you also can't separate it from the experience of watching the movie right so of course whenever we talk about a movie that involves a culture that's not our own uh we like to include in the description of the episode, links to writings from people from those cultures uh, so that you can read their words and not just, you know, be relegated to us. So I, I have to be 
blunt here, I mean, it was hard to find Native American writing on this movie. I found it was just very hard to find Native American writing on the internet in general, right? Like, just looking Mm. for things like Native American film criticism, and from there, maybe I can find something about Peter Pan. Yeah. And it really just shows how much these cultures just don't get a platform Mm -hmm. to, to write at all, which is obviously incredibly unfortunate but i do have some some readings some links uh so the first here is reservations about books disney's peter pan uh-huh. get it reservations which was written by maggie callan who is lakota she when she was writing this was a, a college student majoring in english and film media studies so this is kind of a, a report by her i suppose Uh, And it was published on LakotaChildren.org. This is the website of Lakota Children's Enrichment, which is trying to improve the quality of education on the Pine Ridge Reservation and give a platform to Native American, obviously not just children, because this was a college student, but, you know, young people to to write about things that are important to them. Honestly, you know, it's it's a somewhat surface level... Uh, analysis as you'd kind of expect from a college student it does get into some of these specifics of like why these stereotypes are so problematic but uh it's i kind of wanted to almost shout out the organization and the website more than the article then i have an article called what not to wear it's from the chicago tribune now this was technically written by georgia garvey who is not native american but it is an article about basically cultural appropriation of Native Americans. It's not just about Peter Pan. And it quotes a lot of Native American people. Mm -hmm. As I said, had a very hard time finding writers. So in this case, sharing their own words of these people a lot of times means sharing interviews, unfortunately, conducted by white people with them. And in the section about Peter Pan, an individual named Houston Brown talks about uh, what it was like watching Peter Pan as a child and as a Native American child, and how certainly their experience was very different from ours. Right. And then I have an excerpt from a book, Seeing Red, Hollywood's Pixeled Skins. This excerpt is written by David Martinez, who is a professor of Native American studies at Arizona University. He himself is mixed race, Native American and Mexican, just in case anybody's wondering why Martinez. <laughs> this is an academic piece of criticism, so I really enjoyed reading it. It really gets into their place in the story. It gets into why they're stereotypical and the history of these kinds of stereotypes. It also gets into, again, the gender politics uh, that are in the main scene. Really, really good in-depth piece of writing my opinion. So those are the articles for this week. Of course, that's not all. And if you have any good writings by Native Americans on this movie, feel free to send it to at me mom mouse on Twitter. We'll retweet those. Yep. So unfortunately, that really mars this movie and kept me from enjoying it. The other thing I'll say about like watching it this time is that I found a lot of it very annoying. <laughs> like, I thought Peter was annoying, the mermaids are annoying, the Lost Boys are annoying. Mm -hmm. And I was like, have I just grown out of this story? (laughs) And that's part of the reason I wanted to watch the 2003 version. Because after watching that, I was like, oh no, this one is still like completely magical and really works for me. And I love the characters in it. So no, I just (laughs) think the Disney movie is annoying. And of course, we'll talk about why. You've grown out of that one. (laughs) I guess so. 
It's a darn shame. I do think, though, you know, I don't know where the best place to talk about this is, but I, I was thinking about this. You know, maybe that was one of the reasons you and I both liked Peter Pan talking about growing up. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's a movie about a kid who never grows up in his, like, amazing, magical world. But it also ultimately kind of falls on the side of growing up, right? It's not like, I think about, you know, for example, this might upset some people, but the, in my opinion, terrible Polar Express movie, (laughs) where it's all about like, and I never grew up and I always believed in Santa and I could always hear the magic bell that you can only hear if you believe in Santa. Like, obviously, there are many movies about this kind of like, and I never grew up. I always held on to childhood. But this movie isn't like that. It's not saying never grow up. In fact, it's saying if you never grow up, you know, you will be kind of an annoying bully. (laughs) And it's an important part of life. And I feel like you and I were both people who... I mean, we, we're we fairly serious people. I, I know this is true of me. I imagine it was also somewhat true of you. Like, you were ready to be a grown-up. Yeah. Immediately. Yeah. I think we might be the kind of people who really gravitate to this book as kids, because we're like, yes, you know, magical adventures, but also... Grow up. Go home and do your taxes. <laughs> and it's in that way, it, it's sort of healthier, because you shouldn't be constantly looking back to your childhood and being like, oh, that's when everything was good. Like, obviously... You'll be happiest if you can be like, yes, there were things about my childhood that I miss that I don't have now, like naps, <laughs> but there are things I have now that I didn't have in childhood, like, anyway. <laughs> so the narrative itself, of course, was first written by J.M. Barry as both a play and a novel The play in 1904, the novel in 1911, and it was called Peter Pan or The Boy Who Wouldn't Grow Up or Peter and Wendy, originally. It was not just called Peter Pan, Mm -hmm. as it is now. Also similar to Alice in Wonderland, this started from stories he would tell to these boys who he would later end up adopting. They were the children of his good friends who died, and so then he adopted the children whose names were George and Michael and Peter. It makes sense. He was already a writer and author, so he adapted these little stories into first a novel called The Little White Bird that nobody really read, Mm -hmm. and then the play, which became very popular, and the book, which also became very popular. Yep. It is his most famous work. He wrote many things after this and was a little frustrated that everybody just knew him as the Peter Pan (laughs) guy, which happens. I read a lot about J.M. Barry, who I didn't know too much about. Very interesting guy. A very good man at least for his time obviously we've talked about yeah he was a rich british scottish i suppose person in the 1900s especially you know so (laughs) we probably wouldn't get along today but he he was a good man he had a lot of hardship in his life one thing that's really interesting about the book is that it really does understand the psychology of children very well he noticed many aspects of children's mental development and kind of comments on them in this story yeah that were later studied by cognitive psychologists. Obviously, we have the you know idea of Peter Pan syndrome now, but even besides that, certain specifics, just he spent so much time with children and he cared so much for children that he really like intuited some things that would later be studied and understood in more detail, mm-hmm. which is cool. As, of course, we've talked about, there have been many adaptations. The most famous one prior to this definitely was the Mary Martin version. I don't know if you'd like to talk about that. 
Mary Martin, I believe, was in the Peter Pan play before they turned it into a musical. They turned it into the musical, actually, after this movie came out. It was uh, 1954 when the musical was first performed. And in, I believe, 1955 that they decided to televise it or around thereabouts. So they actually decided to put it on TV as basically an advertisement for color television in a way. There you go. Which I thought was very amusing. I also have seen this version with Mary Martin several times, unsurprisingly, since my mom loved it too. And it did come on TV even when I was growing up. And so we had recorded it on a VHS that I could rewatch at any time. And I frequently, I believe I frequently watched both of these movies around the same time. Like I'd watch one of them and then I'd want to go watch the other. Right. So they're a bit associated in my head. I did rewatch a copy of the Peter Pan with Mary Martin version before this podcast. I don't think it holds up. (laughs) Oh? No, I feel like um, the racism in that one is even worse. Oh, good Lord. Princess Tiger Lily is blonde. Mm Mm-hmm, sure. And there's just more. Okay, you thought there was too much in the Disney movie. There's more in the musical. But there are quite a bit I like about that musical as well. But most of my favorite things are still some of the stuff with Captain Hook, which turns out to be my favorite things (laughs) now about the Disney one as well. He's kind of the best part. The version I've seen the most, they actually um, performed and recorded it for television more than one time. Hmm. They actually did it a couple times in the 50s. And then in 1960, they did a longer 100 minute or so version that they they literally performed on a stage to be filmed by the cameras. So no audience mm-hmm. that and they did this multiple times. But the one from 1960 right. is the one that was then most frequently aired on television after that. So like a two hour special kind of a thing. But they'd have, of course, a ton of commercials. Right. Well, in addition to that version, which I suppose was only a play at this time, there were other film versions. Disney was first interested in Peter Pan in 1935, after Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, as we've talked about when he was just buying the rights to everything he could get his grubby little hands on. (laughs) He could not get the live-action film rights that were held by Paramount Pictures, so there was some copyright debate about, like, live-action film rights versus animated film rights. (laughs) That not being a thing anybody had to worry about before. (laughs) Right, exactly. For anyone who doesn't know, by the way, the rights to Peter Pan are, of course, held by the Great Ormond Street Hospital for Sick Children in London, because J.M. Barry gave the rights to them so that they could continue to make money from all future adaptations. Yeah. And boy, do they do that. A good way to support a hospital. For sure. (laughs) That's why, of course, I will be giving the rights to me, Mom in the Mouse, (laughs) (laughs) and all future adaptations of it to uh, whatever that Kansas City hospital is that we used to go. Isn't it just KU? That's Children's Mercy. There you go. I will donate it to Children's Mercy Hospital, and it will be renamed the (laughs) Podcastulous Hospital or something. (laughs) It's one of my incredibly sweaty portmanteaus. (laughs) Yeah. In real time when we're recording this, the Make Mine Music episode just dropped, and I listened to the beginning where I'm going, podcasterless, podcastacent, and I was like, ha, I'm funny. (laughs) (laughs) It tickled me. So they negotiated, they got the rights to make an animated film. They outbid Fleischer Studios, which also wanted to do that. 
They had completed some initial story stuff by 1939 and 1940, uh, and then, of course, war. Mm -hmm. After the war, work on the film resumed with Jack Kinney as the director because he had been thinking of leaving for MGM, and uh, Disney wanted to keep him, so he was like, hey, you get to direct Peter Pan. They talked to Mary Martin about being the voice of Peter Pan. Mm -hmm. Uh, For anyone who doesn't know, I would imagine a lot of people do, but some might not. Peter Pan almost always played by a woman. Yeah, because if you're going to hook somebody up in a flying harness, it's a lot safer if it's an adult and you can't get an adult man to sound like or look like a young boy. But you can get a small woman to. <laughs> Correct. And even, you know, the the 2003 film I keep referring to had a, a boy playing the character and he grew like several inches during the course of production. Of so they kept having to resize things like the window he flies in and out of had to be resized two different times I'm while sure. they were making that movie. The problem is you need to get a boy who's right on the cusp of manhood. But then, of course, he's going to cross that cusp while yes. you're filming. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, with not being magic. So yeah. uh, So they talked to Mary Martin, although Roy Disney didn't like her. Jean Arthur, one of my favorite actors from this time period of either gender, contacted Walt, wanted to be in the movie. Mm-hmm. I think she would have been a bad fit. She doesn't sound like a child at all. Yeah. Jean Arthur, who I love. And she's she's at her best when she's like, I don't know, witty and sarcastic and... Mm-hmm. I just don't know she was a right fit, yeah. but I saw that and I was like, ooh, but Jean Arthur, I don't mm-hmm. know. Well, I'll be honest, Mary Martin is a better fit when she's not singing. And of course, it's a musical. Yeah. And she sings, though. She sounds very feminine most of the time. <laughs> right. Right. And Disney also talked to Cary Grant about voicing <laughs> Captain Hook, which I forgot to mention this in Alice in Wonderland. There was just so much to cover. That weird live action version of Alice in Wonderland that would have been about Lewis Carroll. Yeah. They were talking about having Cary Grant play Lewis Carroll. (laughs) That's funny. So he apparently wanted to get him into a Disney movie around this time. Yeah, I don't. That's too bad he didn't. It would have been. I mean, I love the hook performance we got. Cary Grant might have been interesting. Mm -hmm. But Disney, you know, Walt himself wasn't really that interested in Peter Pan compared to the other two movies we've talked about that they obviously worked on. First, the funniest story here is that uh, during a storyboard meeting, (laughs) uh, and I believe this was 1946, Jack Kinney, the aforementioned director, presented a two and a half hour presentation of the storyboards. Disney reportedly sat silently through the whole thing. And then the first thing he said, when it's like any questions, was, you know, I've been thinking about Cinderella. <laughs> Ouch. Just, just devastating. Yeah. Come on, man. He's, he was a very bad manager. <laughs> but, of course, after Cinderella and Alice in Wonderland, they pick up Peter Pan and they release it and they make the movie. Mm-hmm. Used a ton of live-action references again. Uh, There were fights among the animators, sort of. You know, fight may not be the best way to characterize it, but, like, everybody wanted to be the animator for Captain Hook. Because as we've said at this time, you know, mostly you animated one character throughout the movie. Yeah. Everybody wanted to do Captain Hook. It eventually went to Frank Thomas, who was giving conflicting versions. The story artist wanted Hook to be a foppish, not strong, dandy type who loved all the finery, kind of a con man, 
but Clydronomy wanted him to be a mean, heavy sort of character who used his hook menacingly. <laughs> he was the guy who found a way to split the two, to make him ridiculous and foppish, which he definitely is in this movie, but also able to be menacing. And cruel. It's a great piece of character animation. Yeah. And that's, I think, basically all the context I have for it. It was mm-hmm. released. It did quite well. It was generally well-reviewed. It is generally still very liked. There have been some controversies about the racism now, as as well there should be. Yeah. But I didn't really have anything else to share about the background. It's basically what you would expect. Like, it's obvious why Disney was interested in this movie, so mm-hmm. he made it. Yeah. I, the only, like, criticisms I had seen of the movie, old criticisms, I should say, were basically, oh, it didn't stick to the play or the book very well. And it's right. like... Well, eventually they'll come to realize, yeah, that's what Disney do. (laughs) Right. Already at this time, I think I saw a review like that talked about Mm Disneyfication that was fairly contemporary to this movie. So, yeah, we're already starting to talk about that concept, which, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's that's what it's going to be like always. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Of course, the final cast includes uh, Bobby Driscoll, who we've talked about many times as Peter Pan. Catherine Although Beaumont, it was, it's we... funny because he was 16 and his voice has definitely changed. So it's a little odd to me that they chose him to play Peter Pan. <laughs> but he was their guy, I guess. I, I guess. Know. I don't know. I never thought about it until watching it this time. Because, of course, when you're a child, you don't think anything of it. They tell you this is a boy right. whose name is Peter Pan. It could be anybody's voice. It doesn't matter. Yeah, watching it this time, I was like, how old is he? <laughs> I looked it up. Right. Catherine Beaumont, who we talked about last week, is back as Wendy. Bill Thompson, who we also talked about last week, he's the white rabbit in the dodo in Alice, is back as Mr. Smee and all the other pirates yeah. <laughs> other than Hook, most of whom are just like one and done, right. the other pirates. Right. And of course, the signature performance is Hans Conried as both Captain Hook and George Darling, keeping up the tradition of the play to have mm-hmm. both of those people be played by the same guy. Yeah. So you get that kind of subtext of like, is she just having a dream? And like, you know, this mm-hmm. is the male adult influence in her life and all of that good stuff. Growing up represented by the pirates, staying a child represented by Peter Pan. And Conrad, in addition to doing the voice of the character, spent two and a half years on and off doing live-action references (laughs) for the character, which he also uh, would go on to do all the live-action references for one of the kings in Sleeping Beauty, I believe King Stefan. Yeah, King Stefan. But they didn't let him do the voice. Yeah. So shall we talk about this movie? Let's do it. As expected, Peter Pan starts on Disney Plus with the disclaimer that we've mentioned before. Mm -hmm. And the movie itself starts with a dedication to Great Ormond Street Hospital. Yep. It's like, thank you. (laughs) I did think it was funny that the the song that goes over the credits is not exactly a title song like we've had for the last several films where they basically are singing the name of the movie. It's the song is the second star to the right. And that never actually mentions Peter Pan in that song at all. Right. Which is funny. But that song was originally written for Alice in Wonderland, and they repurposed it for this. So maybe that's why they decided not to go with Mm -hmm. a song called Peter Pan. Which is also true, uh, a song written for Alice in Wonderland they reused for this, of 
never smile at a crocodile. Yes, which you only hear the instrumental version of that song. Right. You don't actually get to hear the lyrics, but it doesn't matter. Every time that song comes on, my brain sings the lyrics. <laughs> right. For anyone who doesn't know, that's the little theme for the crocodile. And it has words. It's never smile at a crocodile. Yep. The VAs do get credited at the beginning of this, which is nice. Yeah. And we open with the line, all this has happened before and it will all happen again. <laughs> Which is not, but feels like it could be about, you know, the number of adaptations of this story. <laughs> We're introduced to characters through the windows, which is a nice visual touch. I mean, yeah. obviously this movie looks quite good and the Blu-ray transfer didn't completely destroy it, which is nice. It did not. It actually looked fairly, fairly good. I like how we're introduced to each of them and given a little bit about their character and what they think of Peter Pan. <laughs> mm -hmm. We're kind of starting from the perspective of Nana the dog, who's building some blocks and cleaning after the kids and pouring them some kind of evil slime. Medicine. <laughs> Tonic, probably, yeah. Horrific. I just love that Nana is such a good nursemaid, even though she's a yes. dog. <laughs> right. This is something, by the way, I was thinking of with this movie as well. Of all the movies we've talked about, I believe this is the one that's most just people. You mm -hmm. know, all the golden era films are animals or like Pinocchio's a wooden boy. Or even with Snow White, we have the dwarves who are the, or dwarfs, <laughs> or the goofy cartoon characters. Like, right. Even though they have humans in them. And then with Cinderella, we have a bunch of stuff with the mice, with Alice in Wonderland. Alice is the only human who, you know, is drawn like a human for a majority <laughs> of the movie. Yeah. But this one is basically just people. That's true. So this is our one taste of, of a Disney animal character, really, is <laughs> Nana the dog who... Well, and the crocodile later, but yeah. Right. Yes. But uh, Nana the dog, of course, who's always the children's Nana, but in this movie is, yeah, a, a fully sentient, completely <laughs> capable nursemaid with more manual dexterity than any dog has and yeah. just fully lean into it. Also, she can read because she puts the blocks in alphabetical order. Yes. <laughs> I like how the dad is introduced saying, boys, boys, less noise, please, because yeah. it's just like, that's such a dad thing. <laughs> it's such a, you know, he says that all the time. Mm -hmm. boys boys less noise yep i like how the you you get so much interaction between the family members and you get what's going on without them having to spell it all out for you the father feels like nobody pays attention to him but they yeah they do but they don't he's trying to talk to wendy and she rushes off to talk to her mother <laughs> mm -hmm. i do think the the boys using his shirt for a map and his cufflinks for treasure it was very believable <laughs> yeah of course the upshot of all of this is that this will be wendy's last night in the nursery she she's forced growing to up, grow up. <laughs> and she she's telling stories about peter pan by the way which is not always true yeah she, it's always true that she is a storyteller but sometimes she's telling other stories and doesn't know peter pan in this version they make it so that she has invented peter pan because again this version more than some others, certainly more than the original book and play, really leans into it might all be a dream. Yeah. Which is fine. I think it might be each child imagines Peter Pan their own way. Do you know what I mean? Right. And has adventures with Peter Pan in their own fashion. And this yeah. is Wendy and John and Michael's version. But Wendy being the oldest is like the keeper of the lore. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
And Disney, Walt himself, really wanted to get to Neverland as soon as possible, which is why she already has his shadow and we don't, you know, cover him losing it or anything. Yeah. He originally wanted to just start the movie in Neverland, but decided you do need this bit of table setting. Yeah, it's very good to have the here's how you get there part. Mm -hmm. But it is nice in that sense how how quick it is. Mm -hmm. We really don't spend much time here. And of course, she has captured his shadow. So we have all your classic moments. Mm -hmm. Uh, Peter Pan shows up. He's accompanied by flute music. (laughs) Cute idea in the score. Yep. He also has pointy ears in this, I noticed. Yes. He's an elf, which I don't think I'd noticed before. Yeah. In this version, Peter is not like an ordinary boy. He has pointed ears. He plays the pan pipe. He's very much like a fairy or an elf himself, not a regular boy. He's like... He's more like Pan, you know, the god yes. of the god Pan or even Puck. Right. Where he's... You might say he's Puckish. Exactly. But he definitely, everything about his face makes him a little different. Mm-hmm. And of course, accompanying him is Tinkerbell. Yes. One of Disney's most iconic characters ever. Someone we're going to talk about a lot mm-hmm. in sequels, spinoffs, remakes, rides, and reboots. <laughs> because she's very popular. She is very popular and... I still like her a lot in this and in other movies with her. Mm-hmm. It's it's still such a fun idea to be like, this is the magical fairy whose stardust makes you fly. Also, she's a huge jerk. <laughs> she's jealous. She is a mean murderer. <laughs> I think in the in the book, don't they have it be she could only feel one emotion at a time because she's so small yes. so that whatever she felt filled her whole self up. So if she feels hate towards someone she like really hates them (laughs) she doesn't have any complex emotions kind of like a child (laughs) so of course we get the song you can fly where they have to learn how to fly and i will say even before i'd ever seen this movie of course i had seen this scene you can fly over Mm. and over and over and over because it was always included on things as a you know disney things i would watch like several like we've talked about with other movies where they would just include bits from the movies to be like teasers. Right. This scene right here. Yeah, th- this was definitely on a VHS trailer. I specifically, when I think of this movie, the first thing I think of is that, you know, think of a wonderful thing. Yes. It's the same as having wings. Yeah. Do we like the music in this movie? I I do mostly like the music in this movie. I get a lot of that following the leader song is stuck in my head a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that thing is brain poison it is so bad i mean it just yeah i think overall i like the music in this movie but it's not we're not at cinderella level yeah i wouldn't say i love all the music even discounting the racist song even some of the others like your mother and mine it's like uh uh-huh i'm asleep now that one's forgettable you know we have to say it or i have to say it maybe you don't condone (laughs) this the racist song is Probably the best song in the movie, in the sense of it's the most fun, it's kind of the most memorable, or one of the most memorable. That just makes it more disappointing. Like, I don't think it's wrong to say, you know, these were good musicians and animators and filmmakers at the top of their powers, dedicating themselves to making something horrible. Yeah. I'm obviously not defending the song, but unfortunately... I do think it's a good song in that respect. Mm-hmm. So Peter Pan, as you say, you know, they've flown out the window. He doesn't want Wendy to grow up and stop telling stories. We have the bit with the kiss that's actually a thimble. 
Well, no, she doesn't even give him the kiss or thimble or anything. Uh, Tinkerbell pulls her hair and stops her from kissing him. There is a moment of animal cruelty when Wendy, George, and Michael are taking off and <laughs> Nana is barking after them. So Michael sprinkles her her butt. I mean, it's a Disney butt joke for sure <laughs> with pixie dust. And it looks like the dog, you know, is going to choke on its own leash or something horrible, <laughs> which of course does not happen. No, she just floats up upside down in a silly thing but she's tied up so she can't go with them to neverland the other bit of animation i really liked here is they're flying over the water wendy sees her reflection and tinkerbell erases her reflection like splashes in the water because wendy's like oh my hair and tinkerbell's like -uh." (laughs) nah that's a cute visual moment yeah i do think having watched them so close together there are several similarities in Catherine Beaumont's portrayal of Alice and Wendy. Yes. Both in the, especially in the talking so much. Yes, I have wrote that down too. They both talk constantly. Yes. Although at least Wendy is talking to other people most of the time and not just to herself like Alice does. Alice mostly talks to herself, (laughs) but they do talk. They just ramble on. It's so funny. This version of the story more than some like, Everything in Neverland is kind of trying to kill or hurt her, (laughs) or is at least being annoying to her. Yeah. Like, the Lost Boys in this one, she and them never really get along. I mean, I know they do. They don't have, like, a moment of friendship prior to the mother song. You know what I mean? There's not a real obvious connection or anything. Yes, thank you. That's well said. So... (laughs) Like Alice in Wonderland, this movie kind of turns into a young woman experiences hell. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So Wonderland... Wonderland. (laughs) So Neverland looks really beautiful. And now, of course, we get to... The one thing in this movie that unambiguously works for me, and again, this is just me personally, talked about my problems, (laughs) is Hook and Smee. Oh, I love Hook and Smee, too. It's not just you. Hook and Smee are the best part of this movie, far and away, Mm -hmm. and the pirates in general. I love the pirate song. This first one is A Pirate's Life. You're watching this with my father, and Dad made the comment that between this, the Bobby Driscoll Treasure Planet, Treasure Planet, Treasure (laughs) Island, and of course, for my generation, you know, the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, Disney has done more for the (laughs) Yo-Ho version of piracy than anyone else, like in in creating this wholly invented Mm. type of pirate. Well, I mean, you should just have said the Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disneyland or that resident movies, you know, because Yo-Ho is there too. Right. But the, this whole idea, and I've, I love pirates. I've always loved pirates in, Mm -hmm. you know, this type of pirate, obviously I always have. It's not something that comes up a lot because unfortunately there aren't a lot of great like pirate movies Mm -hmm. or even video games and things. There's a few and I love them. Yes. But uh, so whenever, you know, we get to this movie and we get to pirates, I'm like, all right, pirates. (laughs) Yeah. Now we're cooking with gas. I like how they're all complaining about being stuck on this island looking for Peter Pan. Like only Captain Hook is dedicated to the fighting peter pan the rest of the pirates are like can we just go now that is an amazing angle in this movie (laughs) is that it is just hook's madness (laughs) and hook's obsession and all the other pirates would really just like to get to looting and pillaging and stuff including smee yep he's trying to be the the go-between between between the pirates and the cap 
the captain. His crew is always like seconds from mutiny. It's <laughs> which again is kind of a great angle. Yeah. It just makes it this this total portrait of madness and obsession, mm. like I said. And Hook himself is animated with so much life. Yes. So many of his hand movements and things are crazy. Yeah. And almost familiar to me and inform the character. He's constantly in motion. Yeah. It's great. And yet, even though he's fun and funny and you can laugh at him and stuff, he is also still kind of cruel. Absolutely. He shoots a guy. Yes. He straight up shoots the accordion player for singing too annoyingly. <laughs> right. And uh, Smee is like, oh, dear, dear, shooting him in the middle of his credenza, bad form. <laughs> so he's he's got this cool thing with two cigars speared on it, which I don't know if that's a real thing, but it cracked me up. <laughs> and he's looking for where Pan's hideout might be. And I have to, I just have to point it out, we're at the 18 minute mark, we get our first instance of the R slur. Yeah. Which is where I was like, oh no, it's not just isolated to that one scene. Yeah. This is where it gets the idea to kidnap Tiger Lily. And, of course, he uh, and Smee exposition about how Peter Pan cut off his hand and fed it to a crocodile. Yep. Uh, which is always a wild detail of the story. Because mm. otherwise, Peter, yeah, he's kind of a jerk. He hasn't grown up. But nowhere else is he that, you know, violent. <laughs> yeah. And and they, they're always like... Uh, no big deal that he cut off my hand. I mean, that was just a childish yes, prank, right? Yes, 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 but, yes, yes. But because he threw it to the crocodile, who now follows me everywhere, that <laughs> is exact- where we draw the line. That's exactly what I was going to talk about. <laughs> I wrote down the line. <laughs> Which, of course, whenever they're talking about the crocodile and the clock that the crocodile also swallowed, so you can hear him coming, then he appears. <laughs> And the great visual idea of Hook's mustache ticking with the clock. Yes. And so, yes, our first appearance of the crocodile is here as well. And it's very funny. And the funniest part is Smee just shooing the crocodile away, being like, come on, man, we're in the middle of something. Can you come back later? Yeah. And, you know, Hook is, of course, terrified of the croc. And Smee is just like, shoo, shoo, get out of here. Go on. Like, waves, waves his foot at him like, I'm going to kick you if you don't get out of here. <laughs> and the croc, of course, goes. The other thing about the pirates is that they all have different accents, which I guess is, you know, Bill Thompson trying to do all the voices. So he's like, OK, this one is Irish and this one is German and mm. there's an Arab one, which mm, mm. and, you know, so on. But I would not have guessed until we looked it up that it was the same guy doing all of no. them. No, no, I didn't. It's it's very well done. Obviously, these are both... I mean, Hans Comrade is the best performance in this mm-hmm. movie, I think. Catherine Beaumont's good. Yeah. Bobby Driscoll is good. Yeah. But I, I think Hans Comrade is the best, and Bill Thompson as his foil as Smee is also great. Mm-hmm. Oh, you don't um, like tinkling noises as Tinkerbell? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, we do have to attribute a bell as the voice of Tinkerbell. Actually, it was apparently, to get the right sound, they used pieces of aluminum that clinked together because bells were too strident. <laughs> There you go. So pieces of aluminum, honestly, robbed of the Oscar. Pieces of <laughs> aluminum. And uh, now we get a nice soothing shave of a bird's butt. <laughs> you want to talk about Disney butt joke? Bird go. lands on Captain Hook's head. Yep. And Smee shaves its whole butt. Thinking it's Captain Hook's face. Mm-hmm. I meant to pay attention during the rest of the movie. Does Captain Hook ever lose his five o'clock shadow? Or does he continue to have it throughout the whole movie? But I got distracted and forgot to pay attention to later in the movie 
whether or not he always has it. Like, does he ever get his shave? <laughs> is what I was wondering. I don't think he does. I mean, he changes his clothes sometimes. You see him taking his coat on and off. So, mm-hmm. you know, he, he could change a little. But anyway, that was just a funny thing. Of course, he thinks he's cut the captain's head off when the bird flies away. So I'm I'm sorry. Hot over hot over the internet ticker. By the way, we forgot to do a mom status. But hot over the internet ticker. He does get shaved at some point because I have pulled up here on YouTube the elegant Captain Hook song, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. I could listen to it and be aware of it. And he is clean shaven in it. So at some point, he gets his shave. He did get his shave, I guess. Yes. Mom status at the beginning of the film. The children's mom is alive. And going to a party. So she's dressed up all fancy. Peter Pan mom status. He chooses Wendy. <laughs> to be his mother. Sort yes. of. Less is, it's less overt in this one. That he's choosing Wendy to right. come and be mother for him and the Lost Boys. Mostly he's like, we don't want to give up, you know, your stories. Come tell stories about me. And that is, you know, what many immature regardless of age guys are looking for in a relationship Mm. you know this is a very well-known uh thing that men do sometimes is they're just looking for someone basically to be a replacement mother right Mm -hmm. to do all the cooking and the cleaning and take care of them and Mm -hmm. it is a sign of immaturity as this movie says so don't do that (laughs) it sucks i won't (laughs) i don't want to get too far from the bird joke before (laughs) noting that you do get crack (laughs) <laughs> you get to, you see a whole butt crack, which I don't think any of the Disney butt jokes before have had. So I think that's a landmark moment I really wanted to mention. <laughs> you get to see the bird's butt crack, ladies and gentlemen. Alrighty then. Butt status cracked. <laughs> Cheeks. <laughs> Definitely. Uh... Peter Pan arrives, of course, with the other kids. Yep. And we get the first amazing Captain Hook you know, I, I exclamation, I guess, where he says, swoggle me eyes. It is Pan. <laughs> I was like, swoggle me eyes. He does have some really funny lingo. Don't mind if I do. <laughs> swoggle me eyes. What does that even mean? I don't want to think about it. It's kind of gross. Swoggle me crack. <laughs> There's much chaos. There's a cannonball through the cloud, as there is in almost all of these. Mm-hmm. And of course, in the chaos, Tinkerbell decides... It's time to kill Wendy. Yeah, yeah. Peter sends them off. She's like, Tinkerbell, take the other children away while I distract Hook. Because, of course, he can't catch me. Tinkerbell flies away too fast and the children are following but can't keep up. So Tinkerbell flies to the Lost Boys and pantomimes to them that Peter Pan has ordered them to shoot down this bird that's coming. A Wendy bird. And the Lost Boys in this are not so much wearing the skins of animals as they are wearing animal onesies. Yes. We have the bear, the fox, the bunny, the skunk, and the twin raccoons. Mm. They have no names. Well, I think they say some of the names. Because, of course, these characters do have names in the books and and other versions. Yeah. But perhaps not. Uh, I do have to say the bear is so annoying he was getting on my nerves this whole movie his voice is annoying and the fact that he not only the fat one but of course he also has to be the dumb one yeah and he's like oh yeah it's not good it's not good what's this it's He's awful. He might be the worst one. You know, I've talked about being annoyed by Thumper, and I've talked about being annoyed by Jiminy Cricket. (laughs) But this might be the worst. (laughs) 
he causes pain. You think the bear and lost boy is your least favorite so far? It might be. It's hard to say. It's hard to say, but he's really, really, at least there's not too much of him, I guess. But nah. this is where I'm talking about where like this movie just gets on my nerves. <laughs> so it should be noted when Tinkerbell gets mad as she does when Wendy is not killed. She turns red, mm-hmm. which is a fun idea. Even more fun in this moment, she burns through a leaf. Yes, it's so funny because she's so mad and hot. And the animation of the leaf burning is really good, and it just makes you stop and think, like, this is two seconds of screen time, and somebody really put the effort to make it look like this leaf was burning. Yeah. You do have to appreciate that level of detail that we're starting to take for granted as we get farther and farther from the Mm -hmm. wartime era. Tinkerbell is so deliciously mean when Peter comes back and he's like, you know, did you do this? And she's just, I, I don't know. She's, she totally admits it. And so she's banished forever. Well, for a week. Yeah. Because Wendy's like, oh, I know she tried to murder me, but we have to forgive her. (laughs) She tried to end my entire life. A week timeout is appropriate. (laughs) Hang on, let me uh, bring her a little closer. Okay, she is a white fairy, so one week. (laughs) So Peter and Wendy are going to go look at the mermaids, and all the boys are going to go out and capture the Indians. Yep, this is where we get the following the leader song. Which is another song that I forgot was from a Disney movie, because it's just... As, as I said while we were watching it, this song was a boon to my preschool and elementary school <laughs> teachers. They're following the leader all over the dang place. I'm sure. We do get some more animal business here. The monkeys are playing with the top hat, dragging the teddy bear around everywhere. And then they are trapped by the Native Americans, who are just referred to as the Neverland tribe in this. And obviously all these characters are voiced by white people. The chief has a voice no human being has ever had. Mm-hmm. All of the natives, the chief especially, they're drawn like moon men. You know, it's yeah. it's what we were talking about with the, the stereotype, the horrible, ugly caricatures mm-hmm. that don't allow them to even remotely look like people. No, it's very bad. And it's a game where the white people and the Native Americans capture each other and let each other go because it was just a game, guys. It wasn't, you know, bad and it wasn't one side's fault. In Neverland, in Neverland, they are playing a game. The Lost Boys and this tribe. That It's just the yes, way Neverland but... works. Yes, I know. It's totally wrong. <laughs> it's totally bad. But this time, they're not going to let them go because... They think they've got Tiger Lily, which, of course, they haven't. Yep. Now we get to the mermaids who, yep. you know, are usually darker and scarier in this story. And this, again, they're just kind of annoying. And also, they are romantically interested in Peter Pan, as is Tinkerbell a fairy, as sort of is Wendy. As is Tiger Lily whenever we get to her. Yes, indeed. All of the young girls, young women in right. this movie are wanting Peter Pan for themselves, and of course, they don't get him. Yes. The mermaids are all rather rude and to Wendy, because of course, Peter's brought another girl along. Right. That's no good. Other than Wendy, jealousy is basically the only emotion women feel in this movie. (laughs) Interestingly, though, this is where you first start seeing Peter forgetting things. Like, he almost kind of forgets about Wendy for a while in the attention from the mermaids. And then when he sees Tiger Lily being captured by Hook, he kind of forgets Wendy again in the adventure. 
So he's mm-hmm. it, it shows it shows his lack of attention span, I guess is what I'm trying right. to say. He has no romantic reciprocation in this. Correct. I do like the moment with the mermaids where Wendy is about to brain <laughs> some of the mermaids with a seashell. <laughs> Yeah. She picks one up and is swinging for violence. Well, because they were trying to pull her into the water. Right. <laughs> but uh, they they realize Tiger Lily is being taken to Skull Rock. Yep. So they got to go to Skull Rock, where Peter Pan is imitating Hook. You know, all this bit of yeah. business. And we get definitely here he's showing off for Wendy. Rescuing Tiger Lily is a distant second <laughs> concern. Right. To the point, of course, that they fly off almost without her. And are like, oh, right. We have to go get her before she drowns. We do get several great hook exclamations here, including odds fish, scurvy brat, (laughs) and cleave him to the brisket. (laughs) And of course, we get the first time of Peter calling him a codfish, right? Yes. Their fight ends when they walk onto air like Wily e. Coyote yeah. and Hook looks down. And falls. <laughs> he falls, but he manages to grab onto the ledge. Yeah. And I forget exactly what he says, but it is something along the lines of I'll get you next time, Pan. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like next time it'll be on me, which is basically every cartoon villain's catchphrase. And I right. just thought it was interesting that like that probably started here. This <laughs> is probably, you know, your your Dr. Claw, I'll get you next time, gadget. Or your, <laughs> you know, Dr. Draken, you think you're all that, but you're not, which is clearly the best version of it. Yes. And I, I wonder to what extent, you know, that did kind of start here with Hook. I don't know. Definitely seems like either an inspiration or maybe this was drawing from whatever the same inspiration was. Right. And the croc shows up again. Yeah, almost gets Hook. Hook does end up in his mouth, but he gets out. (laughs) And this is where he's going, Smee! Yes. Just burned into my memory. Yeah. This is also where we noticed one change made by the Blu-ray, which is that they redrew Tiger Lily's face. Obviously, she looks more like a human being than any of the other Indian characters, but... In the original movie, she had like a much wider face and wider nose and all that stuff. And here, it seems as though for this Blu-ray and Disney Plus version, they've redrawn it to be a little less stereotypical, which doesn't change what every other character looks like. So I don't really know what we're doing here. Yeah, yeah. Like, she was never the worst. You kind of need to... They couldn't, but you wish they could redraw the chief, especially. Yeah. So then we get back to the pirates and Hook is sick with a cold and a headache. Right. And this is the great moment where Smee goes, we mustn't annoy him while he <laughs> accidentally brains him with a hammer. Yes. I was trying to decide if this scene is my favorite scene with the two of them or if my favorite scene in the movie or if the earlier scene with the the shaving and basically the introduction to Hook and Smee scene. Sure. If that one was my favorite. I'm not sure. They're both so good. My favorite Hook and Smee scene is actually coming up. Uh, We're not there yet. They're, they're all good. That's the problem. They're all really good. I'm not sure which one I would pick as my favorite. I was trying to think about it. It's hard to pick a favorite scene in this one. Smee knows Tinkerbell and that's what inspires, you know, Hook is like, oh, we can get Tinkerbell on our side. I think it's funny that the pirates hear all the gossip of Neverland, right? So it's like Smee is sharing the gossip. You know, we should get out of here. Things are getting bad. Pan has even banished Tinkerbell. And that gives Hook the idea. Ah, if we kidnap Tinkerbell, then we can trick her. 
which, mm-hmm. you know, that comes later, but it's very cool. Indeed. Now we have the worst scene in the movie. Correct. No disagreement on that. Do we have anything to talk about here? It's horrible. Again, you can read about why it's horrible. It's what makes the red man red, and it's completely top-to-bottom offensive. Yeah, it's not good. The only main thing to say about it is the children all get wild up. They have to be calmed down, but we don't get to that point yet. Right, when when they're at Hangman's Tree, they're still doing all of the you know quote-unquote indian stuff which is just all the stereotypical behaviors which again is me being like why why is it so much of this (laughs) and it kind of you know in addition to all the other problems with this scene makes the native americans seem like you know they're this bad influence like oh you got the kids all riled up like you don't know how to behave around children i don't know it's bad it's not good but we go to the scene uh which where Smee captures Tinkerbell and brings her back to Captain Hook. Right. And this is my favorite scene in the movie. Mm-hmm. It ma- something about it makes me laugh so much. Hook is playing the piano. He invites Tinkerbell to join him. He's being all nice now. He's he's conning her. Yes, and he's being so melodramatic. I especially laughed at, you know, him talking about like, "Oh, you've been cast aside like an old glove." Yes. <laughs> And Smee is, for some reason, very drunk in this scene. Yes. But he hi- keeps hiding the bottle inside the piano. Right. Probably a harpsichord, but it, it's not important. So every time Hook keeps telling Tinkerbell, oh, we're leaving tomorrow. I just want to say goodbye and farewell to you after all of our adventures together and commiserate with you over Peter having discarded you like an old glove. Like an old glove! And Smee keeps saying, oh, I'll go tell the others. And then Hook, of course, has to keep tripping him or knocking him down and preventing him because that's not really what's happening. He's too drunk to understand this is a trick. (laughs) You are interfering with the bag, Mr. Smee. (laughs) Tinkerbell is very hard to like in this movie, in my opinion. Not only because she does all the normal Tinkerbell things of being very jealous and mean and we don't even get the explanation of only being able to feel one emotion at a time right but also she falls for this mm. the most obvious <laughs> trick yeah. they're laying it on so thick and she's like oh yes guy who has ruined his entire life and dedicated it to killing peter pan i believe <laughs> you're about to skip town i'll tell you where he is yeah and of course she's She does demand that he not lay a finger or a hook on Peter Pan. She doesn't completely trust him, but yeah. They're talking about the route to find Peter Pan and Smee says blind man's bluff in a way I can't even... It's like blind man's bluff. Yeah. It's funny. This scene, this is the scene that made me laugh the most. Mm-hmm. It's That's a good all. one. It is a good one. This is where we go back to the treehouse now and there's more chanting and it's like, please stop movie. And this is where you get the most mom stuff. Mom status forgotten. Exactly. I wrote that down too. Mom status forgotten. Too bad I said it. <laughs> mom status too slow. Yeah. <laughs> Wendy is telling them we need to go to bed because we have to go home tomorrow. And they're like, I don't want to go home. This is my home. Don't we live here? Aren't you our mother? Right. She's like, no, I am not your mother for reals. Which is weirder in part one of the choices made by this movie. 
which again is true of some versions, I think, as well, but not of the original book, is that this is all taking place in one night. So, right. you know, it's been a, it's been like a couple hours and they've forgotten their parents. All in one night. <laughs> the spirits did it all in one night. <laughs> yes, it is a little strange, right. but I presume it's supposed to be like the Neverland magic, whatever. Right. So she sings the Your Mother and Mine song and we all fall asleep. Yeah, this is the Disney <laughs> sleepy song, TM. There's a good chance to go up and go to the bathroom. The only thing amusing is that you see the pirates creeping up during the song, and then they're all, like, crying and remembering their mother. Smee has a tattoo for his mother. Mm-hmm. It's very silly. So then after the song, they're all like, No, I want my real mother. Let's go home. Right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Peter Pan sends them all out he's very cranky about it of course they're captured by the pirates waiting outside and this is where they are allowed they are asked to sample the life of a crook (laughs) this is called the elegant captain hook song which i couldn't figure out what the song was supposed to be called when we were watching the movie i believe you'll find it's called crook crook crookity crookity crook the crook is after (laughs) but this is where they definitely are inviting the boys to join in the pirate band because i guess they always might as well well, you know we could kill them all or we could turn them (laughs) you could get some cabin boys right 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 and all of the boys uniformly are, they reach for that sample. Oh, for They're sure. Like, life of a crook. I think it's funny that even John, who's supposed to be, you know, the practical one, is like, they aren't really giving us a choice, Wendy. It's sign up as a mm-hmm. pirate or die. And she's like, right. we, must, we must stick to our principles and die. <laughs> yes. Except what she actually says is Peter Pan will save us. And then Hook and Smee reveal the plot of how... Peter Pan will not be able to save them because they left him a present in the shape of a bomb. Could he but see within the package? (laughs) Another amazing line read from Hans. Yes. And of course, Tinkerbell is listening. They trapped her in a lantern uh, earlier and she's listening as he reveals the bomb plot. And so she manages to escape and flies as fast as she can to Peter to get him to not open the present. He doesn't believe her when she tinkles that it's a bomb. So she tries to take it away and it explodes. And of course in the play, because it's a play for children, uh, and this same plot line is followed in the book, but in the play, it's poison. Tinkerbell drinks the poison instead of Peter Pan. She dies. If you believe in fairies, you have to clap. Clap to prove that you believe in fairies. And And it brings her back back to life. life. Yes. Which... Disney deliberately cut out, and that's what a lot of the contemporary reviews were complaining about, is, you know, first of all, removing the darkness of Tinkerbell's death, but then removing that audience participation moment mm-hmm. that, you know, is is very for kids. Walt thought that you couldn't do that in the movie and have it work, mm-hmm. uh, which... I know I keep bringing this up, but uh, the 2003 movie does do it, and it totally works, and it rules. Yeah, they do it in the Mary Martin version, too. Yeah. Of course. So, he was totally wrong. You can do it in a movie. You just have to be good! Mm-hmm. And then Captain Hook declares, never mind, you all have to die. And I was just joking about, like, one of the boys going, okay, but is the pirate option still on the table, though? <laughs> Wendy is pushed off the plank. There's First. no splash. No splash, Captain. And there's no splash because Peter Pan has rescued her. And we have this final action sequence, which it's well animated. It's well directed. It's a good sequence. Mostly it's P- 
Peter Pan versus Captain Hook and the boys versus all the pirates. There's great backgrounds in this. I noticed I was really enjoying the colors of the sky. Mm -hmm. The final sword fight is on the mast and Hook is like, no flying though. (laughs) And Peter Pan agrees to this because he's also an idiot. (laughs) But he wins anyway, despite Hook's cheating and despite not flying. And he makes Captain Hook say that he is a codfish. Yep. Which, okay. (laughs) That was one of the things that I was like, alrighty, codfish. I guess it's a really bad insult. (laughs) In Neverland, they call it the C word. (laughs) He ends up falling into the crocodile's mouth again. This time they don't make it clear, actually, whether he escapes. Am I right? Did you? They don't show Captain Hook. Again, after all the other pirates and everybody are escaping in the boat. He is running. Off. When we last see him, he's not dead. That's true. The, the crocodile is snapping at his heels. That's true. Yeah. So he's ambiguously going to make it. So they all, all the pirates leave. Peter Pan captures the ship. Tinkerbell coats the whole thing with pixie dust so that it can all fly. Not sure how a ship has happy thoughts. But it manages. <laughs> mm-hmm. Magic. So they all fly home. And again, this could be Wendy's dream because we don't like see them go back in through the window. And the, the parents come in and they wake and Wendy wakes up yep. and she's telling them about the adventure and about how she's all ready to grow up now. Michael and John don't actually say anything. So again, you could interpret this as this was just her dream. Possibly. They might not be aware of it. Yeah. Possibly. Possibly yes, possibly no. Of course, the thing that perhaps works against this interpretation is they see the cloud ship. The parents see the cloud ship. Mm -hmm. By the way, Mr. Darling has somehow learned his lesson off screen and is being less of a jerk. I think it's less that he's learned his lesson and more that the frustrations of earlier are gone. He's calmed down. Perhaps. But of course, the last moment of the movie is him looking up at the cloud ship and saying, I think I may have seen that ship as well. A long time ago, when I was very young. Yes. And it reprises the song You Can Fly Again in the at the end. Just a, just a smidge of it. Yep. Fade out. Yeah. This will all happen again in sequels, spinoffs, remakes, rides, and reboots. Yes. Once again, there's too much to talk about, so if we don't mention your favorite thing, sorry. Yeah. I mean, I personally have seen that I can think of quickly four versions of this movie, you know? And that's without even thinking about the specific sequels to this movie. And we've talked about several of the movies already. Right. Do you want to talk about anything in the parks specifically? There is the Peter Pan's flight ride at all the parks. It is actually one of the original rides from when Disneyland first opened. Another dark ride, as they call it, in Fantasyland. But this time you sit in a flying ship, quote unquote, that kind of, I think it hangs from above as opposed to riding on a track. So it sways just a little. I can't recall exactly. I didn't actually ride this ride a lot because the line for it is always extremely long. So this is not when I recall riding it as many times. <laughs> and of course, the characters can be found in the parks. Peter, Wendy, Captain Hook and Smee. And they probably do, you know, shows, whatever. I did want to mention in the Once Upon a Time TV show, of course, they have Peter Pan and Captain Hook. But there's a twist. Peter Pan is actually a villain, which I thought was kind of amusing. Well, he's almost a villain in this movie. No, but he's seriously a villain. Captain Hook in that show is more gray area. Sometimes villain, sometimes not. He's kind of like reforms in a way. 
But Peter Pan mm-hmm. is straight up a villain. Right. There have been several board games and video games. Mm-hmm. Captain Hook is in the first part of Villainous. Yep. The first time I played Villainous, I thought it was so funny because everyone else's goal, you know, like, oh, Prince John wants to make money. Yeah. And Captain Hook's goal in that game is to murder a child. Yep. You straight up have to kill Peter Pan. It's great. There is going to be a Delarm upcoming that will be called Peter Pan and Wendy. Yeah. And it will have a Native American uh, person playing Tiger Lily. Presumably all the Native American characters will be played by Native Americans, which can hope. the 2003 movie I keep bringing up is the only film adaptation that has done that so far. Mm-hmm. Now I'm talking feature films like that NBC Peter Pan Live did it. Yeah, They had Native American actors playing the Native American characters. Otherwise, that 2003 film is the only one. The adaptations before it and after it, it's all white people, huh. which is bad. Uh. There's been even more... You know, Peter Pan or Pan. There's there's a mun called Pan that we haven't. Oh, even I'm watched. so glad I was going to wait for this. But by all means, let's talk about Pan. Pan is not uh, an adaptation of the Disney movie specifically. Isn't it like a prequel or something? I've never actually watched it. Oh, you should not. It's <laughs> the worst. But of course, that's why I want to talk about it. You watched it, did you? I haven't even seen all of it. <laughs> Pan is indeed a prequel. It's a 2015 film. Everything about it is horrible. The idea for the story is horrible. It's the most obvious, lazy origin story you can imagine. Hugh Jackman plays the bad guy in it, who is Blackbeard. Mm. Hook and Peter Pan are actually friends. Uh, Rooney Mara, who is an incredibly white actor, plays Tiger Lily. Mm. And their excuse for it is like, well... To avoid all the, like, Native American racism of the Disney movie, we've decided that the Native Americans in our version of Neverland are white. And it's like, that's not... (laughs) You haven't fixed anything. That is not better. No. That was their excuse. It is a truly insane film. It's very, very bad. Mm -hmm. Mom, I have for you a two-minute clip. Oh, no. But I want you to watch this. Uh This is the introduction... To our villain, Blackbeard. Uh, Peter, it'll be very obvious, I think, who Peter is, has been taken Mm -hmm. to Neverland. He's meeting Blackbeard. Mm -hmm. Watch this and then give your reaction. Oh my gosh, are these... (laughs) No. (laughs) No. It's so bad. (laughs) He's singing it too. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Blackbeard's costume is just the worst. It's so bad. Why does does Hugh Jackman look like that? I know. Like Hugh Jackman is a very attractive man. Why would you do this to him? Uh, He's bald for most of the movie, by the way. Uh, Well, I guess that's better than that. Whatever that weird shellac thing that's on his head is. Oh, no, you'd think it would be. It's not. I don't know. I am not entertained. Uh, <laughs> so can you describe for our audience what you just watched? Basically, they take the song Smells Like Teen Spirit mm-hmm. and everybody's singing it. It's not like this is a song in the background. Apparently, there's a billion pirates 
And they've kidnapped a bunch of boys or something to be more pirates. Like they need more. There's already thousands. To work in the fairy dust mines, just so you know. Oh, is that what's going on? (laughs) That's what's going on in this movie! Okay, I see. If you're working in mines, you do always need more, I assume. And I guess that's why the (laughs) ship can already fly. Um, And... Yeah. There's like an army. There's a million there pirates. Are. And and the, the the children are being forced to sing along to the Smells Like Teen Spirit <laughs> song that everybody's singing. And the Nirvana song Smells Like Teen Spirit, they're chanting yes. it like it's a religious Yes, like it's a religious experience. And here he comes, <laughs> the most fearsome pirate of them all, Blackbeard, who has a tiny little goatee type beard. I'm like, if you're going to name somebody after their beard, it needs to be a significant feature. It's it's right? the worst anyone has ever looked in a movie. It's Hugh oh, it's Jackman. Bad. I mean, I like Hugh Jackman as an actor. I really do. He's usually a very good actor. They're a pro Hugh Jackman podcast. Mm-hmm. Unless he's canceled by the time this comes out. <laughs> in which case, never mind. But he he looks awful. Um, he's His outfit is just the worst. And his faith and his he hair is the worst. jumps out. He jumps does the out. splits on a railing, yep. and he's singing along with the song too. Which I mean, at least he can sing. He proclaims, "Here we are now, entertain us!" Yes, and it's like, um, <laughs> I'm not entertained. No, no. All the slave masters are forcing the children to go. Hello, hello. And this movie <laughs> isn't a jukebox musical or anything. Yeah. It's not like this is really indicative of the rest of the film, except that it's horrible and inexplicable. So they don't do a whole bunch of... No! You could you could see that as being a thing if they're including a whole bunch of songs like that. The way Guardians of the Galaxy includes a bunch of music. Right. And Or the way um, A Knight's Tale uses a bunch of more modern music in it. Yes, that would still... It would still make this a dumb scene. Yes. But it would make it more understandable. I never watched that movie Pan because everything I had heard about it made me think it was going to be terrible. And yes. You were right. I was right. (laughs) You were absolutely correct. It was a huge bomb. It had a terrible marketing campaign, but also it had a terrible... Like, it it had terrible marketing campaign because it's a terrible movie. How do you market it? It's And nobody wants... Most origin stories, but especially True. nobody wants a Peter Pan origin story. Most people watching this are not like, where where did he come especially from? Especially in our family, are pretty burnt out on origin stories in general, especially ones that it's like everybody knows. And right. while they did take this story, obviously, in a way that it had never been, because it's nothing like the actual origin story that is in the Peter Pan book, it is not anything interesting it, i i never want a peter pan origin story i don't need that right i feel like this pan movie would have been better if it wasn't about peter pan but i don't think that scene would work in any movie really nothing could save <laughs> nothing could save any aspect of pan wonderfully horrible if you like me are a connoisseur of garbage movies <laughs> I don't think I'm that much of a connoisseur of garbage, that's for sure. So directly to this movie, I couldn't not talk about Pan, because once you see that scene, <laughs> it will never leave your brain. Thanks for that. Yeah, you're welcome. It's, it's like the ring tape. You're going to be haunted now. But there's the spinoff series Jake and the Neverland Pirates, which uh, I didn't watch. And yeah, that's like a Disney Junior 
show, right? Yeah, it's aimed for little babies. It's a very funny show in premise because it's like, there's all these scenes from it that people will clip that's the characters being like, you know, pirates never steal, (laughs) right? Because it's trying to teach preschoolers good morals, but the main characters are pirates. Yeah, right. Jake, I think what I saw is that Jake and his pirates are the good pirates who are having to defend Neverland from Captain Hook and the bad pirates or something. But that is, yeah, I have never actually watched the show because you guys were older than preschoolers when it first came on. So we didn't watch it. (laughs) I'm sure it's fine for preschoolers, right? There was also a direct to video sequel, Peter Pan returned to Neverland, which I feel like I have established for myself a precedent of watching all of these terrible direct-to-video sequels, mm-hmm. or at least trying to. Mm-hmm. You know what? I just didn't with this one. <laughs> I'm undoing that precedent because I looked at the description for this one and it doesn't even seem interesting bad. Nor does it seem like it might be surprise good like Cinderella 3 or Bambi 2. Mm-hmm. It's it's just, what if we did it again, but it's Wendy's daughter, Jane, who is mentioned in the epilogue of the book right. and the play. It's an epilogue that's not always added to the book or play because mm-hmm. it was written like after the original publication. Right. But anyway, it is something J.M. Barry wrote that uh, Wendy's daughter, Jane, was visited by peter pan as well and had a similar adventure mm-hmm. but he just says that that happened you nobody would want to see of course the whole similar adventure what this movie presupposes is maybe you do <laughs> but here's something that i did yeah so my girlfriend bailey girlfriend of almost eight years our anniversary is uh 15 days from now mm-hmm. she grew up watching the Tinkerbell movies, the direct-to-video Tinkerbell movies. She never told me that they were good, but they were like an important <laughs> part of her childhood, uh, somewhat in teenage years, and, and she always really enjoyed them. So about a year ago, one winter while she was visiting, we watched all of them, <laughs> all six of them in one weekend, just binged the whole lot. <laughs> so I have seen the six direct-to-video Tinkerbell movies. I presume she actually talks in these And isn't, you know, just jingle (laughs) noises the whole time. Yes. So here's the thing. There's this whole Disney fairies franchise that actually started as books. It's similar to like Disney Princess. Yeah. And I think I actually read some of the books. Oh, there you go. These are the movies based on that franchise. And of course, it's it's capitalizing on the popularity of Tinkerbell as a character. But this is a completely different Tinkerbell to the original character Mm -hmm. where it's nominally, you know all set as a prequel. But again, this is a completely different person because in this, she's nice and kind and caring. And of course, in the whole fun of the original Tinkerbell character is that she's mean and murderous. <laughs> and kind of nasty. Yeah, she's nasty. And she can't talk, but in this, she can. Mm. Well, they explain it as humans hear her as... Right. Uh, hear all fairies as aluminum sounds, <laughs> but but the fairies can talk to each other. And it has, I think this is probably part of the reason Bailey liked these movies, because she, like me, is a big nerd, and she, you know, latched onto continuity and canon. These movies have, like, a lot of world building yeah. <laughs> of how fairies work, and, like, there's, you know, there's light fairies, and fast-flying fairies, mm. and... Water talent fairies. They all have different talents, you see. They have different types of magic that are useful for different things. Mm -hmm. There are all these different types of fairies. These six movies were released direct-to-video. They have what is a running joke between Bailey and I where we refer to a got-no-business cast, Mm -hmm. uh, which is when uh, a cast 
for a movie consists of people who got no business <laughs> being anywhere near that movie. So, for example, Angelica Houston uh-huh. is the fairy queen <laughs> in all of these things. Yeah. And they have Mae Whitman, Kristen Chenoweth, Raven Simone, Lucy Liu, America Ferreira <laughs> are the main cast. Of course, we got great voice actors like Rob Paulson is in all of them as well. Yeah. It's... It's insane. <laughs> um, are these movies good? Uh, mostly I would say no. <laughs> Watching them all at once made me feel like I was going truly insane. <laughs> so now I'm going to share my insanity with you. So the first movie is about Tinkerbell, who is born. You see, a fairy is born when a baby laughs for the first time. Right. Which is fascinating because the fairies then are, you know, creatures who depend on a- another species for their continued survival. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. And their job is to like maintain the seasons. Yeah. They, they make all the things for the new seasons. Mm-hmm. And then they have to carry them from Neverland to the human world. <laughs> like So they're painting all the flowers. And they're keeping all the animals, I guess. Mm-hmm. So the main characters are Silvermist, a water fairy. Rosetta, a garden fairy. Iridessa, a light fairy. And Fawn, an animal fairy. Of course, you can buy action figures of all of these. Of they have different outfits every single movie. Uh-huh. That's why these movies were made. Mm-hmm. And Tinker Bell is a tinker. She's one of the fairies who make and fix things. That's her talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's actually t- a tinker, and her name is <laughs> Bell, I guess. The other tinkers, of course, are Bobble and Clank. We all know about Bobble and Clank. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's like, I don't want to be a tinker. So the first movie, which is just called Tinker Bell, is all about her trying all the other talents. But then she realizes, you know what? It's great to just be yourself <laughs> and have your own talents. And you know what? Wherever society chooses to put you, that is where you're supposed to belong. <laughs> so that's what the first movie's about. The second movie is Tinker Bell and the Lost Treasure. And it's all about Tinker and her... Uh, Tinker Bell... And her romance with Terence, who's a dust fairy. You see, <laughs> the dust fairies, their talent is to take care of the fairy dust, as I'm sure we all know. Yeah, yeah. So I don't even remember this movie at all. It's it, This one's very boring and it's nothing. <laughs> the next one is Tinker Bell and the Great Fairy Rescue. Because you see, Tinker Bell, she's flying around and she gets trapped by a little girl. Oh no, but she makes friends with the little girl. Mm-hmm. But all the other fairies have to rescue uh-huh. her. And there's some other peril. I remember this one being... Kind of okay. The fourth one is Secret of the Wings. I remember the trailer for Secret of the Wings. Yes, this one got trailers in theaters. I remember seeing it as well. I don't think it was released in theaters. Oh, it actually did. This one did get a a limited theatrical release. So this one introduces Lucy Hale as Periwinkle, a frost fairy. You see, the winter fairies, they can't spend any time with the non-winter fairies. Uh-huh. Uh, they can't live in each other's worlds. The winter fairies' wings, they'll melt <laughs> if they go to the spring, summer, or autumn world. Uh-huh. So they have to be separated on the other side of this magic bridge. But Tinkerbell finds out that she had a twin. They were both born from the same baby's laugh. But her twin's an ice fairy, so how are they going to be able to see each other? Uh-huh. Also, the queen of the non-ice fairies and the Timothy Dalton got no business <laughs> as Lord of the Winter Fairies. They have a secret romance, but they can't do anything about it either. It's such a shame. So, of course, they figure out how to bring their two worlds together mm-hmm. and uh, not live in, in the society they created. Then there's the Pirate Fairy. Mm-hmm. This is still only the fifth one. Yeah. The Pirate Fairy, I actually saw twice because oh, no. Bailey showed it to me. When we were in high school, it was the first time I watched one of these. The Pirate Fairy is 
probably the most like a traditional movie. Uh-huh. It stars Tom Hiddleston. Got no business whatsoever. <laughs> As a young Captain Hook. And also there's, uh, there's a dust fairy named Zarina who has figured out how to make different types of dust and like do alchemy with the dust. Anyway, she runs off because nobody likes her experiments. She becomes a pirate. <laughs> she comes back. She's able to do all sorts of stuff with dust. The main thrust of this movie is that she throws dust for the wrong talents onto everybody. So now, for example, you know, Iridessa, she doesn't have her light powers. Instead, she has garden powers. Oh no, how's she she gonna figure that out, Mom? Well, if you watch a little movie called The Pirate Fairy, you're gonna figure it out. It also has a musical number performed by Tom Hiddleston. This one and Secret of the Wings are the two that are kind of good. Yeah. And again, maybe I was just losing my mind. But the, those two, they both kind of, they're, they're cooking with gas. <laughs> I have some interesting ideas. They obviously have good performances. I'm losing my mind again just talking about them. The last one is Tinkerbell and the Legend of the Never Beast, at least in 2014. Which, despite being still called Tinkerbell and the Legend of the Never Beast, it's not about Tinkerbell. <laughs> this one's about Fawn. Okay. Fawn is the animal fairy. And she meets the lever beast. It's kind of this big dog. It looks kind of scary. Mm-hmm. It's only awake for a few days out of the year. And then it sleeps for 937 years at a time. And this movie never fails to make Bailey cry. And sure enough, when we watch it together, she cries. Because at the end of the movie, the Never Beast goes to sleep. Uh-huh. And he's not going to see all his friends. When he wakes up 937 years later, they're all, they'll all be dead. Why will they all be dead? They're fairies. Don't they just live forever? They apparently do not. <laughs> <laughs> they, approxi- they apparently have approximately human lifespans. <laughs> oh, also, the, the reason the Never Beast wakes up once every 937 years is to, like, shoot a laser into the sky to stop a big storm that will otherwise kill everyone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the Never Beast's name is Gruff. Yeah. <laughs> So those are the Tinkerbell movies. (laughs) What you're saying is maybe I should be glad I had boys instead of girls so I didn't ever feel the need to show you the Tinkerbell movies when you were growing up. Oh, we watched stuff that was at least as bad, if not worse than this. Isaiah and I recently revisited the Rescue Heroes movie we watched a million times as a kid. Yep. This is no worse than the Rescue Heroes movie. It's true. Also, by the way, Tinkerbell and the Legend of the Never Beast has Rosario Dawson joining the cast as Nick's a scout fairy, and Denai Guerrera, a.k.a. Okoye from Black Panther, who in 2014 might have had business, but now has got no business. <laughs> Truly insane. I would say all of those movies are better than they have any right to be. Yeah. I will probably have to watch them again in my lifetime. These are the things we do for love. Mm. Um, and they have basically nothing to do with the movie Peter Pan. <laughs> Even though one of them does have Hook and one of them does have Wendy for like a second. <laughs> Blink and you miss her. Basically. Mm. So what do you think of that? That information that you have now. That's a lot of stuff. I, I, I still don't think I'm planning on watching them. You know, I do a pan, all six Tinkerbell movies, Peter Pan Return to Neverland, septuple feature. No, thanks. Octuple feature. Sorry, octuple feature. Yeah. The 2003 movie that we've been talking about was directed by PJ Hogan who hasn't directed much else of note. Jason Isaacs is Captain Hook and uh, Mr. Darling in Mm -hmm. that one. He's great in it. 
Everyone's pretty good in it. Yeah. It has really amazing production design. Obviously, there's a lot of CGI, but they use it well. Yeah. And there's a lot of practical effects and sets and costumes that are great. They have a great visual idea, which is that in this version of Neverland, the weather and the sky and everything and the lighting changes with Peter's mood, <laughs> which lets him do really crazy yeah. colored lights. It's, I mean, it's it's still a kid's movie. It's still a family movie, but it... It's a little longer, which means we can get more character development for all the characters than this Disney movie does, yeah. particularly Mr. Darling. There's some interesting stuff with, like, class, where Mr. Darling wants Wendy to grow up and is, like, concerned about his job and stuff, not because of just, oh, you should be a grown-up, but because he wants her to be able to marry well and have more money, even though the Darlings live in a gigantic house. <laughs> Bigger than anywhere anyone in our family has ever lived, but that's okay. It's it's really good. I, I really definitely recommend that one. Mm -hmm. uh, and you don't have to be, you know, a connoisseur of garbage. <laughs> yes. You could just enjoy movies. So, with all of that said, this movie, Mom, would you recommend it? I think this one's another qualified yes. I still overall mostly enjoy the movie. It does hit harder now, you know, as time goes on and we're more aware of the racism in it. It is harder to enjoy the whole thing. But I feel like there's enough in the other parts to enjoy. I do agree that uh, Disney Plus apparently has a, you can do settings for different age groups, like let your child just surf around. They don't let this movie on Disney Plus. It is not allowed in the like seven and under age group. Correct. Um, I think that's good because this is a sort of movie that you need to talk about with your children when you watch it. If you're going to do that. Yes. Sorry. I've kind of skipped on to the next question. No, that's <laughs> a little fine. bit. I don't think it's like, let's just toss it out and never watch it again. But I also am not going to watch it a lot. How's that? Make sense? Yeah. And that's totally fine. If you like this movie, despite how problematic it is, whether because of nostalgia mm -hmm. or because you love the animation or you love Hook and Smee yeah. or whatever, that's totally fine. For me, it's it's a hard no. Yeah. I would not recommend this movie. I didn't really enjoy watching this movie. And it's not just the racism, although, again, that did that had a profound emotional effect on me. Mm -hmm. But I just found it annoying. Mm -hmm. There are so many versions of this story that I feel like you don't need this one. I really do recommend the PJ Hogan movie over this movie. Yeah. I think it's a better telling of the story. I think it's a better, you know, modern telling. Again, an actual Native American characters are treated with dignity. There's nothing really about this movie to recommend except for Hook and Smee. Mm -hmm. And as we said, they're kind of the best part of every version. So even <laughs> that isn't enough for me to specifically recommend this movie. Yeah. Again, fine if you disagree with me. Mm -hmm. Totally fine. As for showing it to a child, yeah, I'm, I'm also going to say no. Yeah. Watch it together, explain the problems, and talk about it. Use it to create a dialogue. Right. There's always room for using a movie like this to start a dialogue with your children about important topics. And yes, we did show it to you when you were a child, and we owned because we owned it. So, but we didn't okay. talk about it we as much. We would do things different now. Yes. Different times. Yeah. And, you know, I totally agree with what you were saying. For example, you know, after you watch the movie Pan with your children, <laughs> you should explain that Hugh Jackman <laughs> actually is a good actor. <laughs> and we don't know what he was doing in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh. 
But that's going to do it for Peter Pan. Next week, we're back on more solid ground with uh, a movie that (laughs) certainly has nothing in it that's problematic (laughs) at all. Lady and the Tramp. What do you think of this movie, Mom? I think this movie asks the question, dogs and babies, can they coexist? So until next time, I'm dog, I'm baby. (laughs) I'm me. I'm mom. And it all started with a sample of the life of a crook. (laughs) Yo-ho. Yo-ho. Yo-ho.